and really specifically about your thoughts about him as a lawyer and all that stuff. Well, uh, my feelings about your dad, either as a lawyer or not, are about the same. Uh, I think your dad is the finest person I've ever known. Oh, wow. And uh, certainly he was a role model to me, and I tried to emulate him. Right. Helped me when I got started, and in fact, probably kept my family alive until I became prosecutor. <laughs> Tell I, me that. What do you mean by that? Well, um, you know young lawyer starting out in practice doesn't have a steady income. <laughs> yes. And Bob would kind of uh, refer me a case that was, it was it would be a case that was already completed, and he would say, uh, it's set for next week, but I don't want to disappoint my clients by continuing it, so would you do me a favor by taking care of it for me? Oh, really? And then when the fee came, he'd give it to me. Really? We didn't split it, he would just give it to me. Really? And uh, that happened a lot. Wow. And then, of course, gave me a key to the office, and that was where I could do my legal research and have right. access to office equipment and such things. Uh -huh. So, uh, Well, that's a big part of what I'm trying to do is just kind of, I found out some stuff about Dad and winning the Bronze Star yes. that I did not know. And so that's, no, I wouldn't. you know, I mean, that's part of the deal is, you know, all the things he shared with me and would never said anything about that. The people whom I've known who've been decorated military heroes uh, don't talk about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, my dad's best friend was Edwin Dean. Oh, yeah. And uh, he certainly never talked about his military exploits. Talk about a career. That yeah. Guy had a career. He certainly did. But uh, I think your dad was typical of that. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's really, you said what I need you to say there. And so now let's move on talking about your life and your adventures in Crane. Well, I got to sit down today with one of the funniest people I've ever met, my friend Bill McCullough. And when we got to talking, we ended up having about enough material for about four different podcasts. And so I've cut this up into several different things, but I had so much fun talking about growing up in Crane and all the different stuff he was able to do in an era that now seems totally different than the one we're living in. And it was so fun to get to talk to him, and I just think there's more material, and I want you to hear from him now. My friend, Bill McCullough. Crane was a great place to grow up. Uh -huh. It was... Uh... It, looking back now, it's amazing how safe and how peaceful it was. Yes. Uh, I spent my first five or six years across the street uh -huh. in the little house that's now painted gray. Uh -huh. And, of course, knew everybody on this street uh -huh. and went to their houses daily and pestered them and bugged them. <laughs> Usually in the morning, I'd go next door to Logie Steele's and I would be having coffee and donuts with her when Mother would come out and yell for me. Really? But uh, frequently I'd leave the house with my stick horse uh -huh. in my footy pajamas uh -huh. and go downtown to the red front and I'd be on the the coin-operated horse uh -huh. when Alma Watney would drive her husband moat to his barbershop. <laughs> and she'd usually pile me in the car and bring me back to the neighborhood. There you go. But, yeah. Where'd you live after that? We went on around the bend to my grandparents' house. Yes. But, 
they'd owned that since about, I think, 1918. Okay. After grandmother died, we remodeled it and moved in. And was that just you? And I mean, tell me who was there. Uh, mother, dad, my sister Catherine, and me. Okay. Just the four of us. And what were your memories of growing up at Crane? Oh, I knew, I mean, I knew everybody. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, all the civic events. Uh, Crane still had shopping in the evenings, right. and particularly on Friday and Saturday nights, Crane would be, uh, the stores would be open from early in the morning until 10.30 at night probably. Uh-huh. The movie theater was going, the grocery stores were open, the dime store was open, and uh, certainly the the uh, drugstore. It was very hot in there. Yeah, and people would be gathered up and down the streets, sitting on cars, standing under the awnings talking, and then going in and out of stores. We well, didn't we didn't go to uh, Springfield or Aurora or other places to shop unless it was necessary. Uh, that, well, there were there were shops here. Yes. You know? We had everything that most of those places had right. back then. Mm-hmm. And so you graduated in 71, is that yes. right? Mm-hmm. And so what, what were your memories of go, going to high school? Uh We were all aware that our small school wasn't anything like a large school, Uh and I suppose we felt disadvantaged Uh thinking that the larger schools would be better, but of course in retrospect, that isn't true at all. You had some pretty smart people in your class. We had a lot of smart people. We had some really good teachers. Uh We had some really good staff. Well, who, who were some of them? Oh, uh, Mrs. Lane, of course, okay. who lived behind you and helped rear you and Elizabeth. Yes, definitely. And uh, our joint next-door neighbor, she was a sweetheart. Uh-huh. Uh, and then all of our grade school teachers were generally older ladies, uh, many of them widowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Mildred Williams first and second grade. Okay. And Leota, William, uh, Leota Richardson, who lived down the street from both of us, mm-hmm. she was there. Right. Pearl Wilson. And then in high school, we would get either brand new teachers, uh-huh. or we would have the teachers who had been around forever. Right. Young teachers didn't tend to stay around great forever. <laughs> they used it as a stepping stone. Yeah. And so who are some of the people that really stood out, whether it's student or teacher or anybody? Well, the thing about Crane is there really wasn't much of a, a class structure. Sure. In that uh, nobody was very rich, and uh, the cliques, if there were any, had more to do with your interests and school activities and maybe sometimes the churches uh-huh. that you attended rather than anything else. Right. And uh, Crane was pretty homogenous. We didn't have any minorities. Sure. We grew up in a place that was absolutely devoid of minorities. Yes. I always joke that we didn't even have Catholics around here, <laughs> that all the Protestants had to get it on with each other Yes. for their feuds. But, uh, <laughs> yes. But looking back on it, Crane was, a, I mean, there was so little stress uh-huh. compared to nowadays. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of a child not being able to walk downtown, even right. at night. Yeah. It's just a different world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so who were some of the people you went to school with? Well, uh, 
basically everybody. Well, no, but <laughs> and I mean, we, who were some of them? There's Tony DeLong, okay. who was your age. Well, yes, Tony, uh, Jeff Carney, Wendell Titchener, uh, Richard Reagan. Uh, and we all ran around some uh-huh. together. Uh, and then, uh, of course, you know, in the older uh, Don Johnson. Was, sure. People always ask if you knew Don Johnson. <laughs> And he was a little bit older, right? Yeah, I think he was probably about four years old. Okay. His stepsister was a year ahead of me. Who was that? That was uh, Deanna Wright. Okay. And uh, when his first movie came out, she took a carload of kids every night up to the Tower Theater to see it. Really? Mm-hmm. What movie was that? Uh, that one was called, well, I don't know that that was his first movie. That was the first one I was aware of. It was called The Herod Experiment. Oh. But I think maybe there was an earlier one called A Boy and His Dog yes, that didn't. Yes, that's right. Maybe you didn't hit the movie theaters uh, here. Well, and so, other than Don Johnson, I mean, what was cool about Crane? You know, I assume he was not cool at that time. No, no, uh, I don't. Other than maybe some of the basketball players, I don't know that we had anybody that was really considered <laughs> cool or right. respected or looked up to in that way. Uh, and uh, there again, that was one of the nice things about Crane. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things, you know, in other words, yesterday I interviewed Jeanette Kimes about the fact that yeah. she attended the Nuremberg trials. Yes. Who would have ever known that? I did because I knew her father when he was still alive. Sure. Before he died, uh, he was a lawyer over in Joplin. Uh-huh. And then, of course, it was in the Kimes house a lot sure. growing up. Yeah. But, yeah, that was fascinating. She had quite a life as a young lady living over in Germany. Yeah. And so are there other people like that that you know of that I want to talk to? I would have said Lauren Wilson, but of course he died. He lived two houses down from you. Sure. Lauren and Ruth had an interesting life. I don't know if Ruth's still alive in Springfield or not. Mm. Okay. But uh, they did a lot of traveling and had interesting lives. Huh. It's very interesting to see how one of you takes to another person and mm-hmm. talking to Bob Hackley was super fun and mm-hmm. you know, everything. Well, of course, anything concerning Porter and Margaret. Yes, they, definitely. They were, uh, they were two of the most impressive people I've ever known. Definitely. What are your memories of them? Oh, I, uh, I would go up there a lot. Uh-huh. And, you know, that was kind of an extended part of this neighborhood. That was around the corner, yeah. Yeah, just around the <laughs> corner. But uh, Margaret was so patient with me, and I talked so fast that she would never <laughs> understand me. If one of the grandkids, their grandkids were around, she would make them interpret. <laughs> <laughs> and she was fascinating. She was, I talk about her, like I just really want to hear about the things you remember about her. Well, she had quite a library. As I understand it, she received every first edition published by Random House, even even when I knew her. Right. Uh, she'd been the Midwest editor of Random House, but she was a friend of Bennett Cerf, uh, Dr. Th- Seuss, Theodore Seuss Geisel, um, Max Schulman. I'm trying to think of some of the other big authors from the 50s. Sure. And occasionally... Uh, one of them would visit, uh-huh. not driving, but would get off the train in Springfield uh-huh. and call, and Porter would go pick them up. Really, and bring that's them down. a big idea yeah. about how big she was. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I asked her uh, about corresponding, yeah, corresponding with them in the mailroom in New York, and she said that there was a secret symbol that you would put on the envelope that would pass it through so it wouldn't get hung up someplace, but never did tell me what the symbol was. <laughs> Well, as I understand it, what was what did Hemingway say on the first edition? Well, when I was going through my Hemingway phase, I borrowed books, and one of them was Across the River and Into the Trees, uh-huh. and that was one of Hemingway's flops. Sure. And it was inscribed to Margaret Lucas, an excellent judge of a fine novel, please allow this poor specimen to pass unnoticed, <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. It's just amazing when you yes. think about the way that... Everybody interacted back then. And then she had, uh, one of the things of which she was proudest is that she had Rudyard Kipling's autograph uh, really? in a small frame. Huh. When Porter and Margaret would go out of town, they had a, uh, they would take a bushel basket and put their treasures and keepsakes in it and take it down and, and put it in the bank vault until they really? got home. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so the Kipling thing was one of those things? Mm-hmm. Yep. What, what else was there? I don't recall. I really don't. But I do recall that. Well, tell me about him. What was he like? Porter? Yes. Oh, Porter was the uh, kindest gentleman that you would ever care to meet. Uh-huh. He was soft-spoken. Uh, pillar of the community, of course, long before I came along. Always mm-hmm. gave everybody something at Christmas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. He had been, uh, I guess his obituary said the canning business that I was aware of, uh-huh. and that he was an early banker. Uh-huh. And I think maybe because he um, he uh, acquired Nelson's, Roy sure. Nelson's banking interest, and I think that's what they meant, but I never considered him a banker. Uh-huh. Well, and, you know, he owned a lot of property. You know, the reason this is Lucas Lane is because there was Porter, Porter Lucas and Willis Lane. Yes, and uh, do you recall Clarence Lucas, Porter's no, brother? No. Clarence and Grace lived uh, the next house up at the next street that goes back to the new subdivision. Okay. And, uh, and that's a nice house mm-hmm. that kind of looks like it's nicer than it would have thought about, you know, 50 yep. years ago or whatever. Yes. And so who were other people like that you were growing up in Crane with? Well, of course, we had several merchants. We had... Uh, Roy and Fenton Williams, okay. who were brothers who had competing dry goods stores. <laughs> Roy Williams had the Red Front uh-huh. next door to the what is now the Crane Library, and his brother Fenton had the place across the street. It was called Fenton's, wasn't it? And that was called Fenton's. <laughs> and uh, Fenton's daughter was Eileen Smith, and her husband, uh, Kenneth Smith, uh-huh. ran Fenton's after, well, I guess, I don't know if Fenton ever totally quit, but... Huh pretty much managed the store. Then uh, on Main Street, we had two grocery stores. We had the MFA, the old MFA building sure. at Main and uh, Rose, I think. Yeah. And then halfway down the block was May's Market grocery store that delivered. <laughs> and they had quite a clientele with some of the older people. Amazon before there was Amazon. Right. Clearly. And so I guess when I'm trying to find out this stuff, I mean, what stands out to you? Where are your memories? It was a very active community when I was a child. Uh, the Broiler Festival, it's amazing to see how the Broiler Festival started. Sure. And all the people who cooperated in that. 
there was the American Legion. Uh, there was something called the Metro Club. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't remember too many of the men who joined the Metro Club, but the ladies' auxiliary, the Metro Anns, mm-hmm. uh, that was a, a significant force up into the mid late 60s, I uh-huh. would say. But a lot of socializing uh-huh. that you wouldn't uh, you you wouldn't see today. Sure. Basically, nowadays, uh, socializing is either through churches or just the friends of your family. But yeah. we don't seem to have as many of the civic clubs. Well, it would have absolutely taken you in different directions in a way that you're not mm-hmm. pulled anymore. Right, and expose you to people that you wouldn't get to know very well. Sure. Yeah. And so after you went off to college, what was that like? Uh, coming back? Yeah, whatever. It was, it was interesting to start dealing with some of the people that I had always looked up to as being older. Sure. And, uh, you know, people involved in city government and such uh, things as an equal. And well, that's w- when I came back, I ran for prosecutor. And also, uh, I remember I was president of the Lions Club, president of the park board, yeah. things like that. They immediately got you involved. <laughs> and, and that was fun. And then you kind of moved out and started mm-hmm. doing other things. Yep, I did. And tell me about that. Uh, nothing. You really prosecuted a lot of cases all around the state. I did do that. I, tell uh, me about that. Well, in addition to Stone County, where I was elected, uh, Jim Justice was the prosecutor in Taney County. I assisted him on his major cases, and then while he was sick, he had cancer uh, and recovered. But for two years, I handled both counties Uh as prosecutor, and then I did a lot of special prosecution in Christian County for Tim McCormick, Uh and when he gave a kidney to his son, he was out for six or eight months, and I handled his county, and then did some prosecutions just for the Attorney General's office. No fee. Tell me about that. Um... There was a special prosecutor from the attorney general's office named Tim Finical. He oh, yeah. was he was the death penalty expert. Dr. Death. He was called Dr. Dr. Death, uh-huh. yes. And he was assigned to assist me on a case. Okay. And he got to know me and more particularly my investigator, Bob DeForest. Yes. And uh, he asked us to help him with, I think, four prosecutions for murder out of the state penitentiary in Moberly. Uh, four people who had killed one of the guards. Really? And it was mainly to get Bob DeForest's investigative (laughs) skills rather than my trial skills. (laughs) Well, I remember Tim Finical always wearing a lot of jewelry. Mm -hmm. Big watches. Bob DeForest? Yes. was a graduate of Reed Spring and um, started working for one of the large... uh, commercial finance companies in uh-huh. New York City. He was the guy that they would send to take over a business when really? it was in trouble, wow. to repossess it, to run it until it got to be profitable so they could spin it off and sell it. Uh-huh. And after some major heart attacks, he came back home uh-huh. and wanted something to do. Started out as a sheriff's deputy, part-time, and then became the prosecutor's investigator. Uh-huh. And I hear he was great. He was great. He was one of the finest people. What was, what was so great about him? He was unassuming. Uh, he wasn't threatening to anyone, and people loved to talk to him. Really? Including the defendants. <laughs> and uh, I remember a time or two he would say, uh, 
just wanted to let you know that on such and such a case, you're on the right track. It would turn out that the guy had confessed to him in jail. And oh, the first time I said, great, I'll call you as a witness. He's like, no, 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 I'm just telling you so you'll know. 